Welcome to RPG Storytime, the channel where we take stories generated out of role-playing games and narrate them in short, digestible segments. Last episode, we completed our campaign of Outbreak Undead, the game where players try to survive the zombie apocalypse. Listeners may have noticed that the story grew from just a few characters at the beginning to a whole community of survivors at the end. This was probably confusing for those who are very familiar with role-playing games, as they are supposed to center around a small group of about four or so characters. Usually in an RPG game, a player takes on the role of a single character and makes decisions for it throughout the story. So to have this many characters doing this many things is pretty unusual. The reason that it happened here was because we realized early on that in a city like LA, there would be other survivors, and an important factor would be gathering survivors and beginning to rebuild society. So we embraced the idea and played out various scenarios with different characters. Plus, to be completely honest, the players were getting a bit freaked out with the idea of playing themselves during this apocalypse, so it was really a relief to play other people. The consequences were less personal. Throughout the game, we had a map of my hometown, Burbank, and we made choices as to where the characters would go before playing out each section. Late last year, after we finished the campaign, I had a chance to speak with one of the creators of Outbreak Undead, Ivan Van Norman. So Ivan, tell us about how you and Chris came up with this game, what your inspirations were, all that. Oh, okay, so the original inception of the game, jeez, yeah, so the <laughs> to get into the legacy of it, um, uh, honestly, Outbreak Undead first edition was the first company or the first product that me and Chris put together way back in like I think we started developing it in 2010 and it was um it was really just kind of the inception of the company and it was one of those moments when um we thought it was a great idea in college we did some research and by great idea we meant we had not seen a zombie role playing game that was currently in the market and like when you start a business the first thing you do is you go and see has someone already done it so we basically hopped on the internet and looked for any kind of zombie survival role playing game and at the time um the only other person out there who was even thinking about it was All Flesh Must Be Eaten. And at the time when we were looking at putting the game out, they had been out of print for years. And they hadn't done any real efforts to bring any new product into the market. So, And on top of that, All Flesh Must Be Eaten, if you haven't played it, um, is a bit of a, of a hack-and-slash RPG. And we were looking to do more of a, you know, survival horror. I mean, you know the game. It's very driven around the idea being that you're testing your zombie survival plan. Realism trumps um, reality. Or, I'm sorry, uh, uh, <laughs> realism trumps rules. So, uh, so that's the whole concept. And so we felt really comfortable going ahead with it. And so we started developing it. And it really wasn't a reality. Like, we didn't really think about, oh, we're going to put out a book until I started doing my research on how we're going to put it out. And we basically put down a deposit to go to Gen Con. And uh, we, we applied for Entrepreneur's Alley. We were approved. Um, we 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 paid our money. <laughs> and, and that was like, God, what was that? That was January of 2011. We were told, yes, you now have a 10 by 10 at Gen Con, and you've been approved from we, – we, at that time, they were doing a thing called uh, uh, the Marketing Fellowship application, and it basically was, if you can tell us a cool thing you're going to do with your booth, we'll double your booth space no cost. So got a 10 by 20 for the cost of a 10 by 10 because I put up some big old marketing pitch – and but we didn't have a book yet, <laughs> and so we had from January until August to have a book, 
and to have a game into the market because otherwise we weren't going to have anything at Gen Con. And I tell you, we we got it there by the skin of our teeth. Um, it cost it cost a lot of money just to get it on the market. But then once we had it at the booth, they thank God they just sold. It just was we had only one product. Here's this zombie survival role playing game. Take a look at it. It was a black and white interior, color cop uh, color cover. 465 pages like i to this day i still have no idea what was so hot about it back then but uh they flew off the shelves and we sold half of what we brought and we had no idea what to even bring either it was just kind of one of those okay well we'll bring this much because <laughs> we never done this before we were all just a bunch of kids right out of college so um, you were going out on a limb and taking a big chance. Yeah, and it was also a different it, it was pre-Kickstarter too. So we had no no comparable model on what made sense and what what was you know, a lot of those things that you do when you start a business now where you just do your best to compare, or at least the resources to available. Like um, you know, the resources that you have available now to start a game are much more abundant than it was to like go to the bank and take out a loan and hope you can pay it back in five years, uh, kind of a situation. So, um, that was how the first game came about in a business sense uh, on a conceptual sense. We were just a bunch of kids who were obsessed with Max Brooks's zombie survival guide. And, um, that was around the time when the remake of Dawn of the Dead was back into the world as well, too. And so we were just all caught up in the in the like the the zeitgeist zombie reboot era of around 2011. And it was really exciting for us. So that was that was what got it in. And then we supported that line for years as we continue to try to decide what's our next step. But really, Hunter's books was just outbreak for like four years <laughs> and we really didn't even become a formal company until 2015 2016 so it was about about more than half of our life was just a nights and weekends company that really had no formal um kind of uh f uh what's the what's the word when you formalize a company and it's just uh it just kind of sits in its world i would say that yeah, it just didn't have any structure uh, as far as like a like a business structure goes. It was just me, Chris, uh, trying to make games. So yeah. So now you have second edition, which came out recently, which is in stores. Yeah, now. once before the company was formalized, we started working on second edition, and the uh, second edition was basically our chance to say nine years later, um, hey, uh, you know, we're going back to our roots. And it, and it, I, if you look at it, it really does. It's kind of like baby picture versus like, oh, you know, here's this kid in school now. Um, because the difference, the difference is just night and day. Like the, the, the amount that we've learned since putting out that first book is astronomical. And so being able to look at it and go back and, and have that second edition. And not only that, but like Chris basically had second edition ideas going ever since the first book was in print so he 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 already was ready to go with second edition pretty much like this the first or second year that the regular book was out so um but that's what yeah in his brain in his brain i'm sure he's he's like okay well you know that was fun but i think he at this stage he's just really excited to pass 
the I the IP over to a new team of developers who are interested in trying and experimenting with new things so that we can go on and continue to work on it. I mean, surprise, surprise, other games. So, uh, yeah. One of the things that's particularly interesting about your game is the fact that even though it's the zombie apocalypse game, it's not really so much about zombies. Uh, it's really more about survival, which I find particularly interesting because zombies in general aren't particularly interesting monsters. They pretty much just shamble and all that sort of thing. So you really made the game much more about uh, survival and you made the mechanics well, fit Which that. is so much more interesting because like, you just pointed it out. Zombies are, are a very boring enemy. And if you have to do that in quote-unquote encounter over and over again you're gonna get bored real quick and and for us the the joy of the zombie genre has always been about what do people do in awful situations you know and that's been always a much more interesting story than just you know kill a bunch of zombies so my um i think our intent around putting that together was to try to give people a a robust toolbox in which to experiment in the apocalypse with and most of that has to deal with the things that come when you're taken off the grid you know food water electricity if you can swing it fuel um warmth like all the maslow hierarchy needs stuff kind of put together into a system that then is constantly being challenged by an outside force so the outside force zombies raiders one big monsters whatever it is they're more an obstacle in the way of your survival than a in a, a uh, major plot point of your story is kind of how we like to view the game so when you're starting up the game it is about how do i survive and then what what obstacles are you thrown as a result so even in the game you know encounters can be dished out based on player size or how much noise they're making when they're going through the world or it can just be divvied out based on a scenario and um you know we try to make it so that the gm the GM is given tools that make it feel like a fair play because this whole concept of GM versus players, especially in a game in which technically you can't win, you know, because it's just survival. It's not like D&D where you go out, you beat the monsters, you solve the quest. Awesome. Next story arc, right? This is a, this is an ongoing um, push and pull like it's it's just a tug of war between you know the 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 forces that the GM can put in front of the players and the players attempting to survive and strive at all costs. So to kind of keep the GM in that checks and balances, we have this system in place called Risk, which is ostensibly a a GM resource that they can use to make encounter rolls immediately or upgrade any encounters that the players may have stumbled upon and make them stronger. They can hazards like we're, we're literally talking about like spending risk to put a barbed wire fence from you know the players and their half mile walk to the gas station you know what i mean <laughs> yeah there are a lot of rules about things just going wrong and uh, problems that the game master Ball can just process. throw at the players because yeah. <laughs> who knows and to be fair you know they the weight weight and crunch and gameplay have always been an ongoing battle in the role-playing game world. And we just we just decided that, hey, even though this is a new era, people are really looking forward to just pick up and play games. They want, they want so hard just to be able to get into it like you can a video game. But at the same time, too, rules create agency. 
as well. So players can accomplish more things if they are given the rules in which to do so. So if you have rules for crafting an item, then players are more likely going to craft that bridge that in order to cross that river and feel like they really accomplished something. Or if because of their lack of skill and um, interests are not good enough, then they're going to feel real satisfied when when that failure occurs, but it was as a result of their character's lack of knowledge, not because of a shitty role. You know what I mean? It's that's 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 yeah, it's a, just a different world. So, you yeah, know? yeah. So I like to ask the same question to a lot of game designers because I knew this game designer who said that there's always a flux capacitor to every game. It's it's the thing that makes that particular game work, whether it's a certain mechanic or you know that sort of thing. What is the flux capacitor for uh, Outbreak Undead? Oh, jeez. The 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 main resource I would say in this game is is degrees of success. Um, I'd say that's the main element. Generating degrees of success and degrees of failure are both the resource that allows you to do all of the things that you want to do in the game. Um, and it's also the storytelling mechanism in which carries things forward. So in a, in a world, in a world, in a skill-based world outside of combat, degrees of success and degree of failure are ostensibly how well over or under your role, you manage to succeed. And those successes will generate into, um, you know, different levels of, of, of rewards that can come into a skill check. So rather than just, oh, I succeeded, it can be I succeeded, but I succeeded barely. So I only got a little, a little bit for my efforts, or I succeeded a whole bunch, and I, you know, stumbled across something that is going to be a huge benefit. So even going back to the whole crossing the river situation, it's literally the difference between building a barely workable um, bridge that will fall apart as soon as everybody's across the, the river or building something that's so well made and so well done that I could break it apart and carry it with me and use it down the road. Um, and on the failure side too, it's the same boat. It's not just, Oh, I, you know, succeeded or failed or I'm, I failed or I, you know, I either had a critical failure or I had a, a regular failure. Um, there's these little degrees and the, the degrees help how, the in the storyline how players resolve i'm a big fan of when people generate their when people generate degrees of failure i let the players decide how they want to resolve it because they can literally give me their failures in order to generate um story points yeah so if a player rolled two or three degrees of failure i let them tell me how it how it panned out and then i'll take those failures away from them they can even pass them along to me down the road and i can if the GM is feeling generous, I could literally just buy those failures um, for risk. So basically turning those failures into, um, you know, obstacles down the road. If I'm like, okay, well, you know, this is not a critical point in which I want your character to die. So I'm going to take all of those failures and we're just going to, we're you're just going to pay it forward down the road. It's just going to accrue interest <laughs> It is how it is. And I think, I think that's, I, I would say that's the flux capacitor because it's both mechanically driven and it's story driven, the degrees of success and the degrees of failure. Mm -hmm. 
You know, another thing to that whole, that same subject, and uh, it's another aspect of the game that's really unique, is the fact that you can yeah, play yourself. Uh, you've actually yeah. put a mechanic in the game to create a character that is yourself through a whole bunch of questions and yeah, that sure. sort of thing. Uh, talk about that. So we had a, the, in first edition, one of our big marketing selling points was is that we came up with a 30-question personality test that technically when you're done with it, it would give you your core stats if you wanted to play yourself as a character. And we expanded on that in second edition. The website spewai.com, and it's basically a personality test that once it's done, it will give you your core stats. And the core stats in the game are strength, perception, empathy, and will, as hence spew, S-P-E-W. And AI just stands for assessment index. So spewai.com will give you your spew stats. But in the second edition and the new version of the test, we actually allow you to do things like buy your abilities, um, you know, put your training values done. And we have a new mechanic in second edition called Gestalt, which is basically just a a, a pool of resources that you can use to specialize your stats and skills because of practical knowledge. So rather than being like, okay, well, you're a barbarian, you know, these are the four things that you can choose because you picked your class. Instead, we say, okay, you've got your spew stats done. Here are 40 different improvements that you can make to all of your skills. Um, you get to pick how you want it. There are caps on how much you can, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, increase a certain um, skill, but otherwise, however you want to design your character is completely up to you. Because guess what? Everybody's different. <laughs> yeah, and so that's the that's the joys of trying to translate like real life into mechanics. Is it it has things like gestalt where it's a lot more for a, a you know a new player to wrap their head around it's like oh my god i have 40 different advancements how do i want to do it but if you're trying to play yourself as a character you basically look at the stats and you're like okay well i'm pretty good at that i'm pretty good at that i'm pretty good at that and then you'll just do stat increases based off of what um your your core attributes baseline is and that core attribute baseline i like to tell people that's just imagine your character had amnesia you know they had no they they had no skills no knowledge nothing they're just a blank slate and there you're all you have is basically nature you know so now gestalt is your nurture show us what your nurture is kind of situation yeah you know you know my favorite uh, part of the game actually has always been initiative oh the initiative yeah so um that's just based off the idea that we're trying to break away from the whole d20 modifier uh initiative system and uh, we're a big fan of of like hey you know let's try let's try to make it so that combat can be both dynamic but you can also just get rid of it if you want so we have everyone declare their intent at the same time we call it the intent phase so everyone says what they want to do or what they hope to do you know and then you'll build your dice pool based off of that including your initiative and you'll roll it up so based off what your intent is you will be acclimated speed dice appropriately so if you just want to do a quick thing like your intent is oh god okay well you know i just want to I just want to run over to and hide behind that dumpster. It's a pretty quick uh, action, so you're probably only going to be given one speed dice. Likewise, if you want to do something incredibly complicated, like move to the dumpster, climb up it, and then shoulder your rifle and start shooting, well, that's probably going to resolve um, farther down the line because of how long it took, so you're going to be given more speed dice. So when you roll up your... Uh, you know, your actual die roll to see 
if you succeeded or not, you're also going to roll when you're resolving in that initiative round. So the idea being that it's going to go from lowest to, to highest. So less dice mean more likely you're going to get a low number. At the same time, too, you could have a real stroke of luck and, you know, you're allocated three speed dice, but you roll you know, one, one, and a two. So your incredibly complicated action is probably going to go off sooner than maybe even someone who's doing the quick action just because of the luck factor that dice bring into all games. Um, so it's it's fun. It's different. And uh, it also allows for you to use mechanics to change initiative as well, too. Like we have weapons that are literally, you know, for example, like a, like a stun baton or a, or even just nothing that's electrically charged, just like a, a non-lethal police club. You can use them to add speed dice onto enemies for they will continue to roll more dice in the following round. So it's a very viable tactic for one player to add speed dice to a character or a creature so that they are more likely to go um, later in following rounds. And the, the version that kind of you know, removes or gets rid of that a little bit is basically using them to resolve it in effects immediately. So if I'm adding speed dice to a zombie who has like, you know, for example, a two or three and it's going to, and it's in grapple with my friend, I could use my action to add speed dice onto that zombie so that it resolves its effects later and give my friend a chance to try to get out of that grapple. You know what I mean? Well, what's particularly interesting to me are things like if you hit someone with a sword, your initiative is going to be lower the next turn because you're going to be slowed down as you pull the sword out of the person that you just hit. Yeah, we actually. It's a, now that I think about it, it's like our game's a lot more like an active time battle than it is like a static resolution. Everyone resolves in the same round. And some people like to mix it up. I know some people enjoy rolling fresh initiative every single round. Um, and that's that's fine. And it's a very similar way, but it still is just a single chaos element, you know, versus, versus a pool of speed dice that we like to play into it. So, you know? Yeah. So what was your first role-playing experience? When were you first introduced to this hobby? Oh, for me, uh, really, my my tr my first true role-playing experience was when I was 10 years old, and I invited all my friends over to a sleepover, and it was one of those, like, put the, put the tent in the backyard sleepovers, and I pulled out the Palladium, the Palladium fantasy role-playing game, and attempted to roll an adventure with four of my friends who wanted nothing to do with the game. They were, they, uh, they were just so off the rails goofy. And me, Mr. Serious, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Serious DM, is trying to get people to play uh, uh, a, a crunchy percentile system. It was, um, it was a learning experience. And I basically dropped it. And didn't even think about it until like sophomore year of college, in which I did the whole process again. Yeah, so I had a real bad first experience as a GM at the tender age of ten. Um, but then people showed me just how fun it can be and collaborative and great. And uh, that's that's that is one of the reasons it's so good and why it's so good to give things a second chance because just based off of my previous experience, I, I picked up the wrong game. Uh, basically has happened when I was 10 years old, but I just needed someone to show me how much fun it can be. And, uh, that's yeah. a complicated game. Yeah. Talk about a trial by fire. Oh man. Yeah. 
No, I was literally juggling like percentiles, and it. I don't. I remember reading the book. I remember looking at it. I don't know if I really remembered. I. I mean, I couldn't tell you now how how to play. So how did I do it back then? I have no idea. Zero clue. So what's coming up next for you and your company? Um, so we have a bunch of stuff that isn't technically announced yet, um, but there is uh, – for Outbreak in particular, we have, um, we have two new uh, – we we're calling them Strange series, and they're basically our pre – packaged adventures like in outbreak undead it's such a toolbox that it's basically you go and make whatever kind of zombie you want so the idea of the strain series is we're just going to give you this is a world this is the zombies this is the the resources that are available like it's kind of like it's it's our version of an adventure module right so but they are usually different worlds and different sets so we have one that's called dance macabre which is basically outbreak in the renaissance era all right um, and then we ha- we're we're redoing Outbreak Deep Space, which was a f- like a game that came out shortly after, not shortly, but not too long after first edition came out. And now we're doing Outbreak Undead as a Strain series, which will be our sci-fi survival horror. And um, we've got some surprises for kids on bikes coming out next year. Um, we uh, we're working currently our our currently announced but don't have a lot of information is is uh, I have an epic heavy metal fantasy RPG that we're going to be working on and I occasionally if you watch my Twitch stream we'll do some behind the scenes like development around it and stuff like that but that will be going to uh, Kickstarter probably real not really early but in between quarter one and quarter two of next year. Um, with a with a Gen Con release, and then uh, Altered Carbon is going to be coming to the uh, crowdfunding space early, early next year. Um, it was supposed to launch uh, at the end of this quarter, but due to circumstances outside of our control, the crowdfunding campaign is going to be launching really early 2020 right now. Yeah. So where can we find all this stuff that's upcoming? Yeah, go check out go check out um, Hunters Entertainment. On Facebook, Twitter, uh, and Instagram, you can and find me at all those same platforms. I'm usually under Hydra underscore Lord, or you can search my name, Ivan Van Norman, um, and Facebook, and come up. So that's, that's, I mean, that's, it's, I'm like, that's it. It sounds like a lot, but it really is also, guess doesn't feel like a lot, because there's just, yeah. And then there's a whole bunch of stuff I can't talk about, Jeff, but that's fine. It's, <laughs> Many thanks to Ivan Van Norman for talking with us. His game is Outbreak Undead. The second edition is out in stores right now. As you heard, he's got Altered Carbon coming out soon, so keep your eyes open for that. Also, if you'd like to see a visualization of our Outbreak Undead series, you can check it out on YouTube under the name RPG Storytime. Next on this channel will be where it all began, Dungeons and Dragons. We will be starting with one of the earliest modules ever created way back in the first edition. So join us then. In the meantime, thank you for being here, and happy gaming, everybody.